This week on Incoming Game. Cool run, Bartertown. Drama. Intrigue. You are out of order. Betrayal. I don't even know what to believe in anymore. And revenge. Let's get dangerous. Viewer discretion advised. Warning. Incoming game. Warning. Incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game, the podcast where we watch and rewatch the 90s animated series reboot. I'm Jessica, a nostalgic. And I'm Ben, a skeptic. This is my first time watching this show. And I've been a fan for years. Each week, we revisit an episode, dissect it, inject some trivia, and try to find our frostiest moments. This week, we go low res as we recap Enzo the Smart. So how are you doing this week, Jess? Uh, not too shabby. I'm actually headed out to Kentucky in a couple days, which has me very excited. Oh, wow. Gonna visit my uh, extended D&D group and maybe go uh, taste some bourbon. Oh, nice. How about you? Oh, not too much. Uh, actually been planning a vacation of our own. We're actually thinking about Hawaii. Oh, that's so good. I love Hawaii. But uh, that's still a couple months away. Fun times. Yeah. So does your extended D&D group include next week's guest? It does. <laughs> we can talk a little more about that at the end of the episode. But yeah, next week we will have a special guest star, or at least special for me, because I know him. I don't think the internet at large does, but... <laughs> Yeah, uh, speaking of, when this episode drops, actually, it'll be the same day as the Guardian Code series gets released. So we're a little bit ahead. We record these two weeks in advance. Just to give ourselves a little buffer, you know, just in case. So um, if you are hoping that we will talk about the Guardian Code on the day the podcast airs, I am sorry, you are out of luck. But we will be talking about it, I'm sure, two weeks later. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to binge 10 episodes (laughs) in one day, but we'll see. You may not. (laughs) Well, should we get right into it? Let's go. So today we are discussing Season 1, Episode 8, Enzo the Smart. Uh, it's written by Mark Hoffmeyer and Lane Reichert. The story was by Mark Edens, Brendan McCarthy, and Ian Pearson. It originally aired on December 17th, 1994. Um, and again, we're going backwards here. Uh, this is the Canadian air date. I don't know if things were aired slightly out of order in Canada versus U.S. or what the deal is. But we open inside of a game. It is in media res. So first time we start in a game. This happens more and more often throughout the life of the series. But our first go at it. Yeah, it's a castle defense game. We got two castles shooting cannonballs at each other. Dot has a long Salvador Dali mustache, which is a particular fetish of mine. (laughs) Everyone has a mustache and it's great. This was probably one of my favorite parts of the episode, which might give you a feeling about how I feel with the rest of the episode. (laughs) But their outfits are on fleek. Uh, Their mustaches are fantastic. They all got great hats. I like it. (laughs) Oh, man. Her castle gets blown up and I want to note a few things in this scene here. Uh, One binome says run away, which it's a stretch, but it might be a Holy Grail reference. It might be. We did have the Crimson Accountants last episode. The Crimson Permanent Assurance, yeah. Yeah, so this this might be another Monty Python reference. Dot does this weird funny split when she jumps off the building. (laughs) Like her her legs just like expand outward. And uh, we haven't made note of this yet either, but apparently Enzo's go-to insult throughout the series is dip switch. You can't undo my sister, you dip switch! This is the first time I've noticed dip switch. He said this several times. I've noticed it. Um, like, oh, that dip switch or something like that. He definitely has a range of insults that he likes to use, but a lot of them are mega based. There is mega stuff, yeah, but I know for a fact, like, because it's just shy of saying dipshit. Well, they do like to push the line in this show. Yeah. Dip switch is also a computer term. So, you know, they are able to kind of get around it, I think, with the... <laughs> No, 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 we didn't mean...
mean, dipshit. <laughs> this is an actual computer thing. It's like on uh, Star Trek when they say, are you out of your Vulcan mind? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Enzo uh, stretches out the hole in his cannon to fit a larger ball in there, but it doesn't quite work as planned. No. His ball just kind of rolls impotently out of the cannon and they immediately get blown up by incoming fire. Well, apparently Enzo has not yet learned about equal and opposite reactions there. <laughs> Cannot use the same amount of gunpowder for a large ball and expect it to go anywhere. <laughs> he runs up to Bob because he knows what the solution is. He knows the solution is giant cannonball, more gunpowder, destroy this thing. And we see Bob with this tiny little cannon checking out his glitch there to make sure he has perfect aim. He's tweaking his calculations, making a precision attack right onto a bunch of barrels of explosives, which destroy the user and end the game. In the nick of time. That cannonball was literally about to smash Dot in the face. That's true. Yeah, it freeze frames right as it ends. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we get to see the game go away and they are in front of a theater. Which is showing Twice Nightly starring Susan Alexander, apparently. Yes. Bob and Dot are elated about the game win, uh, but Enzo's super bummed because he thought he could win the day this time. Yeah, Bob's getting all the glory instead. Uh, Enzo feels like a real doofus. Aww. He's so basic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's become a recurring insult, too. I just love that this is a, a real insult now. I think yeah. it's... <laughs> I want to know if somehow the source of this insult really was Reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Only 90s kids will know. <laughs> but uh, Cecil is mad because there's too many people in the diner. He's like, multitasking to large parties. This is what I hate. He's really like the worst waiter ever. <laughs> He doesn't enjoy his job. No. He doesn't enjoy people. We know from uh, Gavin tweeting that uh, the Afrobinome is supposed to be a Bob Ross. Kind of. It was based on someone that they worked with that had the Bob Ross fro. Oh, okay. But he said that that binome only ever says ooer. But in this scene... He does talk. Yeah, it's, it's like a high-pitched female voice that says, yeah, offline! <laughs> I guess we'll have to look out for ooer yeah. in the future, <laughs> which would explain why I could not figure out what that binome had said in the previous episode. With <laughs> I rewound a couple of times going, is he saying something? What is he saying? Is that a Canadian slang, do you think? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> I guess if we know if it's super polite, then we'll right. know it's Canadian. <laughs> Hashtag Canadian stereotypes. Well, Bob and Dot try to cheer up Enzo, but he's not having it. He he doesn't want to wait to be smart. He wants to be smart now. Which, you know, is understandable. It's a very kid thing. He had to work for this? Oh, my God. But then he gets him a light bulb over his head there, because he knows exactly where to go to get smart now. Where? To Fong's. Hey, Jess, do you remember back in episode one when you said that you don't think Fong would continue to make people play him for advice, and if they lose, he wouldn't deny them the advice? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Apparently Fong is just a giant dick. <laughs> because Enzo loses the Pong match and Fong is like, sorry kid, maybe you'll get some wisdom next time. Perhaps you will try later, my son. As you know, I can only download wisdom to those who beat me at my game. Except that Enzo then starts like making puppy dog eyes and beating up on himself and Fong's just like, oh wait, maybe this was a bad idea. <laughs> he like sticks his lower lip out, starts crying like a little baby. And Fong's like, all right. And he feels bad, lets him into his private sanctum. 
his uh, yada, 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 sanctum sanctorum. Here's a tip, kids. If an eccentric old man invites you into a secret room with no obvious entrance, maybe don't just walk right into it. You know, go tell an adult or the police. I like how he's not allowed to let anyone in there ever, but this is the same room we've been in before, I'm fairly certain, that used to have the password Greek action. Yeah, he can't let just anybody in there is what he said. So, like, Bob's allowed because he's a, you know, guardian. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> But he brings the boy into a dark windowless dungeon that he calls the city's read-only room. And he makes a promise that he's only going to touch the one window. And if he does, he can read to his heart content. Because reading is the only real way to learn, and anything worthwhile takes time. Funk says, My favorite way to become smarter, by reading. Which, uh, my favorite way to become smarter by reading was with the Pizza Hut Book It Club. <laughs> you just know that some librarian was like, all right, get the poster in here. <laughs> I don't remember seeing posters like this in my library where I live now, but I mean, back in the 90s, everywhere in that library, there were posters from my favorite cartoons, from my favorite movies, favorite TV shows, telling me how great reading was. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a reboot one out there somewhere. It would just be a picture of Fong says, my favorite way. <laughs> To become smarter. Exactly. <laughs> but Fong goes, uh, but seriously, though, don't touch anything else, kid. Yeah, seriously. Enzo decides he wants to read everything in the system, but that's going to take too much time. This is going to take millions and millions of nanoseconds. This might even take one whole second. Yeah, so he talks to Siri. <laughs> and uh, Siri informs him that we'll just have to alter your clock speed if you want to be two times smarter than everyone that's in the inner inner sanctum he gives him a, a helpful little yellow line so that enzo can follow him to the clock speed room and that room just contains a giant pendulum with a glowing sims crystal on the end yeah it is the sims crystal yeah <laughs> uh and a spotlight lands ominously on enzo now this whole scene felt like a reference well here's what i put visually it's not a specific reference but like him wishing to be twice as smart as everyone in mainframe and then like getting the wish granted felt a lot like tom hanks and big except without the fortune telling arcade machine but i mean that's a pretty common trope i mean monkey paw wishes are yeah but the whole i don't that it just looked very familiar it looks like i've seen it before but i i could just be like remembering reboot well i couldn't remember a reboot but i could be remembering every single interrogation scene ever where someone's in a dark room with a light shining on them so if this ends up being an actual reference i would not be surprised because it, it felt specific but for now we'll leave it and just say that he asked to be twice as smart as everyone now not later <laughs> and the pendulum starts to slow yeah it activates as a giant flash of light that transforms enzo into well nothing he feels no different, and dejected, he walks out of the room. But what's this? Everything has gone 8-bit. Everything else has changed. I know that we've already established in this episode that Enzo is not the smartest kid on the block. But if you just walked into the clock speed room, changed something on the very core of mainframe, walked out, and everything was different, <laughs> wouldn't you assume that you did something? It takes this kid a while to figure this out. Well, his immediate reaction is that it was a game that came down while he was in there. Which he's never seen a game do this. Why would he think that this was a game? Enzo. Oh, Enzo. What are you doing to me? We should explain what he's seeing. So all of Mainframe is now in low resolution and all their pixels are showing. Fong is uh, running into the wall over and over again and uh, is kind of babbling incoherently. Hey, where did all the colors go? Looks like they're all here to me. Do I know you? I'm still, I'm very disappointed in Enzo here, but uh, continue. <laughs> oh, yeah, so uh, he goes off to find Bob. So 
He opens the door to the diner and is immediately greeted with a celebration for finding a way out of there. Because they were all trapped. Trapped! Yeah. And Bob pulls a reverse Enzo here. Yeah, Bob tackles Enzo. So they've been trying to escape forever and just couldn't figure out how. And now Enzo is his hero, not the other way around. Everyone's like overacting and obviously mentally deficient in some way. And it's still taking Enzo a while to figure out that something is going on here. In meanwhile, Bob attacks the mail carrier. Dot takes his broken hoverboard and uses it as a hat. I will say that I appreciated this part of their dumbing down. Okay. Is that they brought them down to these like core elements of themselves, which for Bob was being the silly hero right. that poses a lot. <gasps> Dot! Enzo, stand back! Don't worry, I'll save you! And for Dot, included selling the first thing that she saw. <laughs> for sale! Best price in town! Bob's still like the egotist too, though. Like, he's real proud of himself being the hero. Oh, he is, definitely. <laughs> I do love, however, that Dot is immediately like, Oh, this is a thing. I can sell this thing. <laughs> sell this thing for money. <laughs> Well, Bob starts gleefully slamming the door open and shut. <laughs> like Cecil's like, show off. <laughs> and this is when Enzo finally realizes his mistake. Finally. It's not that he made himself smart. It's that he made everyone else dumb. Which, apparently, he's only twice as smart as that. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, he's got a way to go. Uh, so, yeah, once he realizes that there's a problem, he immediately tries to fix the problem by running back to the core uh, however, Bob and Dot start chasing him because they think he stole the zip board. Because, mm -hmm. again, Tot wants money and Bob wants to be a hero. Yeah, he's really playing up his uh, stop, young thief hero voice. Uh, and an ill-timed GameCube appears, of course. Yeah, making up for the lack of games in previous episodes, we get two this time. Seriously. And now he's trapped inside with those dum-dums. And Zoe desperately hopes this is an easy game because with this crew, all bets are off. Which is understandable. Everyone is standing around acting extra doofy in this Olympics game, uh, except for Mike the TV, who is exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, I guess he couldn't get any dumber. <laughs> so he reboots as the team coach, and uh, while Bob starts smacking himself silly, and the uh, users team shows up. I did kind of crack up at that too, because he watches Enzo use his forehead icon yeah. to reboot, so he tries to use the not there forehead icon and then smacks himself in the head until he falls over dot is sitting there doing like a gopher impression <laughs> what she had like her hand or, you know what it actually reminds me of it could be a gopher impression it could be the end of the bend and snap from legally blonde okay where you have your two hands up at your chest <laughs> kind of like you know, like a like a puppy dog begging. <laughs> like, oh boy. Oh uh, yeah, but the user team is like super intimidating, and Bob doesn't know what points are. They look a lot like the uh, low poly aesthetic that the prisoner was in the TIFF. Yes, they did. They definitely did. They even had uh, some Laura Croft esque pointy boobs for the ladies. There was a big buff redhead woman in pigtails. Mike explains that they'll be trying to rack up the most points to determine their starting position in the final Eliminator Challenge, and whoever wins the Eliminator wins the game. I do appreciate that the characters want to help, but obviously they're just incapable of it, mentally. Also, Bob, I notice, has his cup outside of his pants <laughs> for his football uniform here. I didn't notice that. That's great. <laughs> Which I don't even know how that happened, because you just reboot into the character. Did he pull it out and then put it back on? Yes. I, in my head canon, yes. Uh, so, you know what? Enzo's going to make the best of a bad situation. He's going to coach these guys. He's going to do it. 
we got our first game. It's the shot put. Yes. In a reversal from the previous game, uh, Bob can't toss the ball to save his life. And Dot manages to lodge hers in the blimp. Which, you know, that's a lot of strength. We just need to aim that strength. I'm surprised we didn't get a Hindenburg at that point. <laughs> well, it wasn't the balloon part portion of the blimp. So yeah, I guess true. that helps. <laughs> they move on to basketball at that point. We get that fun reference to um, like every sports movie ever. Dun, 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 oh, yeah. Uh, Chariots <laughs> of Fire. A slow motion basketball dunking for everyone except... Enzo's team. Yeah, Dot's tossing a binome in the basket while Vangelis plays in the background. <laughs> uh, Bob is running across the field as if he were playing football. <laughs> he uh, smacks his head, too. He's, like, bouncing the ball. Yeah, he attempts to dribble while sitting and smacks himself in the head and knocks himself over. And then it's time for pole vault, and Bob just runs right past the mat and keeps on running. And doesn't stop running till the game ends. Meanwhile, Mike sits down Enzo for an interview, and it's time for the Eliminator, and they are way behind. What's his plan? This is kind of a fun little halftime thing that they did here. But his plan, he doesn't have a plan. He's just going to win. He starts tearing off his coach paraphernalia. He's putting himself in this game because he's tired of this nonsense. He's going to Rudy this bitch. I don't know if Rudy's the right metaphor. I don't have time for proper metaphors. I just want to <laughs> win this podcast. <laughs> well, the Eliminator is a race on foot through an obstacle course. And Enzo is immediately stymied by running into Bob, who is still running with the pole vault. I love how, so it starts off in, in the field as a normal running course, you know, but then mm-hmm. it immediately goes to American Gladiator. Yeah, there's a pinball section, there's hover skates, you hop through some lava. There's the uh, part where you have to run over the things that are spinning. Yep. It was straight out of American Gladiator, and everything was in red, white, and blue. Yeah. <laughs> Enzo keeps getting held up by the binomes who keep claiming that they're helping. We are helping! We are helping! So Enzo asks himself, WWSBD, <laughs> what would Smart Bob do? <laughs> so uh, in a nice um, bit of reverse psychology, he convinces all the binomes to help the user instead. The user needs your help. <laughs> Which is a good plan because the user is literally about to cross the finish line. But just before he crosses over, the binomes are all pushing him and latching onto him, stopping him from making it in time, uh, which uh, gives Enzo an edge. Making his uh, roller skates go faster by making them go backwards. <laughs> We're helping you! Which allows Enzo time to catch up. And the user does break free and almost beats him, but at the last second, Bob runs in and tackles the user at the last moment. This is a pre-Forrest Gump, but a very Forrest Gump-esque moment, <laughs> as there is no one to tell Bob to stop running. Yeah. So Enzo flies over them, securing his last second victory. And a nice little slow motion, too, yeah. as he crosses the line and winning the game. <laughs> so the game ends right after Mike TV reads an ad for 32-bit lotion, because you itch. And so, yeah, Enzo immediately heads right back to the core, so the clock speed room, so that he can set things right. Fong comes in uh, and starts to say some vaguely inspirational shit that makes him sound smarter, like he knows what's going on. Well, he's trying to ask if uh, Enzo's learned his lesson, but at the same time, yeah, he's not really sure. It's unclear if uh, Fong was aware all along or not. He's kind of evasive. It's become clear to me in this rewatch that the whole wise Fong thing is a total <laughs> sham. He's a fraud. He's a complete fraud. Between this episode, there's the episode where he's also giving advice to Enzo and he just like pulls out some fortune cookie stuff. It's just like, yeah, that sounds right. 
Yeah. I don't think he knows what he's doing at all. <laughs> he just wants to play some Pong, you know? Seriously. That's why he makes him do it. He's like, yeah, I'll give you, I'll give you some advice, but come on, play some Pong first, please. But, um, yeah, so we close on the diner, and Bob and Dot are concerned that Enzo has been ignoring them and is just staring at his phone like a typical teenager. He hasn't jumped on Bob for, like, a whole millisecond. Until he does. <laughs> Until he does. Yes. All things in moderation, Enzo decides, even studying. So mm-hmm. he gives that up and jumps on Bob and asks to go on like a million different adventures. Yeah. And then we kind of like iris out on like, oh, well, here we go again. <laughs> so what'd you think about this episode, Jessica? Oh, my God. <laughs> I This is honestly the worst episode of the season so far for me. Shocking. It was... <laughs> It was hard for me to watch both from a story angle and in the sense that it was literally hard to watch. Like, watching the the low-res stuff, like, hurt my eyes. I mean, there's still some good gags in it. I like the whole dumb Bob being an opposing hero guy and dumb Dot being an entrepreneur. <laughs> and Bob occasionally getting hit in the head is funny. <laughs> but, like... If this was the first episode of the show I'd ever had to watch, I would have really, you know, thought over my decision. (laughs) What about you? Jessica, I fucking loved this episode. I can't believe you liked this episode. (laughs) (laughs) It all really worked for me. Like, the humor, the action, the stakes. And I don't know, maybe it says something about me, but I thought it was hilarious when everyone was acting dumb. I thought the transition to 8-bit was kind of brilliant. Like, I had originally thought they would turn everybody into, like, really blocky, simple shapes, like Mario. Mm-hmm. But just lowering the resolution, like, they literally just rendered the scenes as normal, but to a smaller size. I mean, in theory, I like that. I think that that's a great idea. I just couldn't physically watch it. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, but maybe it wasn't, like, because I wasn't watching it on HD TV. Maybe there's, like, a difference. Maybe it was the screen I was watching it on. I don't know. I just, like, every time, like, it made my eyes hurt. <laughs> I just thought, yeah, lowering the resolution so that they were less crisp was a nice compromise. And then when the game came down, there was a real danger that they might actually lose. And Mike actually spelled out that fact. He straight up says, The mainframers could lose the game. The entire sector could be wiped out and we'll all be mindless nulls. Which is the first time that I think that's actually explained. That is. Uh, So we mentioned before that they might be nullified, but they haven't explained what nullified means. But it literally means being turned into nulls. So those little slug guys. Those little slug guys are former binomes and sprites. Yeah, which is really strange if you think about it. Yeah, that they're like kind of treated as pests and pets and <laughs> and just the fact that like these characters can never lose a game yeah which don't they in the first one oh no they didn't make it to the game in time and the they didn't make it to the right. yeah so the binomes and sprites in that sector they lost the game okay but so here's the real question was fong actually in on it the whole time and if so was he really willing to risk all of mainframe being nullified just to teach enzo a lesson i'm fairly certain he was not in on it i don't think fong knows what's going on at all i think it's all a sham a facade that he's putting on. <laughs> As to uh, the game itself, the uh, way that Enzo ends up winning is a complete cheap move. And if I was the user playing, I would be furious. So, yeah, this is what I was thinking. As the user, beyond the whole cheating part at the end, mm-hmm. if your computer is suddenly running at a lower clock speed, I imagine this game was so frustrating to play. Well, I was just thinking... Like in terms of Mario Kart, like where no matter how far ahead you are, like with one small slip, you're immediately in last place. And so Mm -hmm. like those binomes that were holding him back are effectively the blue shell of this game. (laughs) (laughs) Like how does that even work? (laughs) It's just like, oh, God damn it, this fucking cheap ass game. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that player was never playing that game ever again. Speaking of the binomes, I've actually come to the realization that they are reboots equivalent of the minions from Despicable Me. Maybe. I mean, they all have one eye. And there are some minions with one eye. <laughs> yeah, there's these short little guys. They kind of like talk funny and they have more to say than the minions do. But uh, well, I don't think we've gotten too much binome like character development yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, they don't all talk funny. Some of them have full conversations. Yeah, like they're, they're not a direct parallel to the minions, but they reminded me of the minions. Okay. I don't think any of them like bananas. <laughs> I am super surprised that you didn't like this one. I am super surprised that you did. This one was absolutely my favorite so far. (laughs) See, I was sitting here watching this episode going, oh, man, Ben's going to hate this. He's not going to want to do this anymore. Oh, my God. No, this absolutely. This is my favorite. We are on different pages, I think. We are totally on different pages on this. This is going to be an interesting couple of seasons. Well, I remember you didn't really like racing the clock, and I did. Yes. We both agreed on the tiff being good, but it seems like the ones that I really like are the ones that you don't, and vice versa. That does seem like it's the case. We'll have to keep an eye on the later ones, (laughs) because I know the later ones are so good for me. Now I'm like a little worried that you're going to be like, drama? What is this? (laughs) No. Why isn't everyone dumb again? I get in No, I, I'm definitely on board for some, like, serious character development and, like, story-based drama and stuff like that. But, like, just in terms of, like, the sillier early ones, like, the ones that I like seem to be the opposite ones of the ones you like. So, yeah, this will be fun going forward to see if we continue <laughs> this trend. Oh, boy. <laughs> Pixelacious! So let's jump into the trivia. Do you have any bits and bites? So I do. We see outside the theater that uh, Susan Alexander is playing Twice Nightly. Susan Alexander is Kane's second wife in the movie Citizen Kane. Okay. So this is a Citizen Kane reference. Interesting. When we see Fong introduce uh, Enzo to the read-only room, they pass by this stone monument, and on it is written J.L. Sr. This is apparently a reference to John Lasseter, founder of Pixar. The Sr. reference is a reference to their first movie, which was Lux Jr. Oh, yeah. With the lamp. Yes, exactly. The lamp. Is it Luxo, I think? Luxo Jr. That's right. Sorry. Um, so we get Enzo in the game yell at his team, what we have here is a failure to network. Yeah. Which is actually a reference from Cool Hand Luke, where the actual line is, what we have here is a failure to communicate. What we've got here is failure to communicate. I knew it was a reference, like I knew the line, um, failure to communicate, but I didn't know what it was from. So we also get the chariots of fire that you mentioned. We get one of the users is wearing the classic Bruce Lee outfit, the yellow and black. They even have the Bruce Lee haircut. Mm. So I'm fairly certain it's supposed to be Bruce Lee. (laughs) Um, And then we also get the fun American Gladiator and pinball references there at the end, which nowadays American Gladiator has turned into American Ninja Warrior. So there's a lot of American Ninja Warrior or regular Ninja Warrior feels in there too. (laughs) Yeah. Or hell, Wipeout. Yes, Wipeout. The whole thing. Uh, Except for the part where the floor is lava. That, that was. <laughs> the floor is big balls. And that's our bits and bites for today. So now let's get into the game. So we get two games. Yeah, so the first one, the castle defense one. So yes, the first one is a castle defense one or kind of a castle offense one since the goal of the game is to destroy the other ones, not necessarily to defend yours. Oh, uh, yeah. Kind of like a turn-based shooter. Yeah, almost. Uh, I found a game called Rampart. 
It's an arcade game released in 1990 by Atari Games, okay. uh, where you sit in a castle and you're trying to destroy the people coming at you. There's a game called Lord of the Realms uh, that came out in 1994 for PC and Amiga. Uh, the game takes place in a medieval setting. It's got several characters warring for the right to be uh, King of England or King of Germany, depending on who you're playing. Um, and you manage the armies, and you lay siege to castles. So, mm-hmm. And there's one called Castles 2, which is Siege and Conquest. Uh, it came out in 1992 for the Mac, and it takes place in historical France, or, you know, game version of historical France, at the beginning of the Hundred Years' War, and you're trying to take over as much of France as you possibly can. And our second game uh, is the Olympics game. Um, so I have two here. There actually was a game that came out in 1984 called The Summer Games, uh, which was a sports video game. It's developed by Epix for the Commodore 64 and was later ported to the Apple and Atari. Okay. And you were pretty much playing the summer games. You had the shot put in there and you had the pole vault in there. And you had some other stuff in there like diving and freestyle swimming, which we didn't see here. But, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the same stuff. I think there was an SNES game too uh, for Nickelodeon Guts, which I think was a similar kind of American Gladiator type thing. Yeah, we actually had the SNES second game. It was an American Gladiator game. I f- assumed that they had to have made one. <laughs> And I was correct. So it's it came out in 1991 uh, for the Amiga, the Sega Mega Drive slash Genesis, the Super NES, and the NES, and based on American Gladiators. And they didn't have any of the stuff that reminded me of American Gladiators that we saw here. They had a kind of rock climbing wall where the Gladiators would try to knock you down. Um, they had the one where you fought with the giant Q-tips on top of a pedestal. Okay. And then they have a kind of strange version of the one where they shoot you with balls. <laughs> <laughs> Except like the guy with the ball gun was like moving as you were moving. So. Mm. so there's a lot of fun ones that I think inspired this one. So you definitely see like a lot of reality based ones here where we've had some trouble finding ones that were based in reality previously. So would you play either of them? Yeah, probably the Olympics game. Definitely. I really would have played that as a kid when I had my NES or my super NES. The uh, castle one seems more conducive to like an app game now. Like it would be on your iPhone or iPad. Yeah, there's actually a board game called Castle Panic, which was one of the first board games that my husband and I started playing when we like super got into board games um, many years ago. And that's pretty much the same thing. You're literally sitting in the castle and rolling dice to see where you're placing monsters as they come at you Mm -hmm. from a circle and you're trying to destroy them as they come towards you. It's pretty fun. Okay. I could see it as kind of like an Angry Birds style thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. But only if you get a mustache. Right. (laughs) No, yeah. And the uh, the gladiator one, yeah, that seemed like fun too. I think I think I'd play that, especially if it had all the different stuff like the hover skates and the pinball section and all that, you know. Oh yeah, that'd be super fun. And the floor is lava part. <laughs> yeah, of course. This is wrong. This is all wrong. And now it's time to award the golden pigtail <laughs> for our frostiest moments of the week. All right. So what were your runners up this week? I actually only picked two, and I'm torn between them, so I might just give it to both of them. Oh, dear. A tie. Yeah. So I couldn't decide between Dot Split as she jumps off the castle, <laughs> or Bob just, like, showing off his door opening skills and just going, <laughs> doof, 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 which was really impressive to Cecil. <laughs> you know? So both of those moments made it for me, and I think it's going to be a split vote, and they're both going to get it. <laughs> a split vote from dot does a split i see what you did there yeah see <laughs> <laughs> all right so my moments have to be dot selling hats yeah yeah 
I good. really appreciated her entrepreneurial spirit sticking with her. Well, the funny, th- and I don't think we touched on this, but when Enzo grabs one of the hover bikes and, and speeds off, she's like, oh, they're not just hats at all. <laughs> they have, they're multi-tools. <laughs> or, or no, they're, she's, they're not just hats anymore. <laughs> they're still hats, but they're also something else. So dot selling hats is definitely one of them. Uh, Bob knocking himself out trying to reboot. I did giggle at that. <laughs> yep. But my, my frostiest moment has got to go to the awesome looks in the opening moments of the show oh the mustaches maybe it's just because i was watching queer eye recently but <laughs> yes queen the awesome mustaches the hats the gold uniform the whole look oh so the whole outfit yeah. the whole look is def- i think my frostiest moment <laughs> all right put them in the books so, Ben, did we get any feedback this week? So we had a tweet storm recently from Gavin Blair, who lit us in on a whole bunch of inside trivia, especially from the TIFF, uh, not the least of which is about the Afrobinome that we talked about earlier. So we also received a very nice iTunes review from Nathan L., who says that in light of the disappointing trailer for the new version of Reboot, he discovered our podcast and has been watching along with us. So thanks so much, Nathan. means a lot that you like the show, and if we get enough people behind it, maybe we can consider doing a live show or something, maybe a Patreon, just <laughs> do something a little extra for fans. So ambitious. Ben. I want to do the live show. <laughs> Uncut. Oh, and I, I know you mentioned this already, but I do want to thank Gavin. All of these notes uh, that he's been giving us with behind the scenes information has been fantastic. Uh, if you're not following us on Twitter, um, at least follow Gavin on Twitter. <laughs> but he's been replying to our weekly posts with all sorts of behind the scenes information. And it's been really fun to learn, especially to get it straight from someone who was there. Uh, as it was being created. So you should definitely check it out. It's a lot of fun. I think it's time to make this voyage unprofitable. So are you enjoying anything this week? Oh, yeah. So this week, I actually want to give a shout out to a friend of mine. If you enjoy handmade crafts or dragons or stuff dragon related, (laughs) uh, you can check out my friend Swanee. Uh, She makes these awesome handmade dragons, dragon eyes, and other sculptures that you can check out at Swanee's Dragon Den on Etsy. Uh, You can also watch her sculpt, paint, and draw while she's streaming on Twitch. You can check out her stuff on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, and Instagram at Swanee Canarte. That is S-U-A-N-Y C-A-N-A-R-T-E. And you can go on Etsy at Swanee's Dragon Den. All right, that sounds good. I know Swanee too. She's cool. She, her artwork's really cool. Yeah, she's a lot of fun. And her dragons are adorable. I uh, don't have anything really that I wanted to recommend this week because everything I'm enjoying this week is the same stuff I've been enjoying for the past <laughs> several. So I don't have anything really new. Um, but what do we have coming up next week there, Jess? So I'm very, very excited about next week. Uh, so next week is the episode Wizards, Warriors, and Award from our sponsors, which is a D&D type episode that involves Mike the TV very heavily. So I decided for our first guest for our podcast to invite on a good friend of mine who I play D&D with. Uh, I figured thematically it would work really well. Uh, He's a really cool guy. Uh, His name is Luke and he's going to be on talking to us about D&D and Reboot and he is a giant fan. So I'm assuming he'll be really into it. (laughs) Yeah, I look forward to that. Now you said this is an episode that you really like. I don't remember much of the episode, <laughs> so no. All I know is that it's D&D stuff, which mm-hmm. I do, like, adore D&D, so uh, probably. <laughs> and that it's very Mike the TV heavy, hence the word from our sponsor at the end. Uh, okay. This is kind of going into the relationship between Bob and Mike. <laughs> I actually, Mike's growing on me. I liked him in this one. We've only had him around for, like, 
two episodes? Three? We had him for a scene in the TIFF, and that was it. The sex line one, and he gets thrown in the dumpster. Yeah, he did the sex line stuff, and then he did. He was like in the background uh, when they were confronting Fong. Well, you can always find us online at uh, on Twitter. We're at Incoming Game Pod, and on Facebook, we're on Incoming Game Cast, as well as at IncomingGameCast.com. Uh, you can find myself, uh, my artwork, and my other idiocy. <laughs> I'm uh, <laughs> Dudworks Art on Facebook and Dudworks on Twitter. That's D-U-D-W-O-R-K-S. And you can find me at Stirvina Lady. Uh, that's S-T-I-R-V-I-N-O Lady. Uh, and that's on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And our theme music is Spasmatica Polka by Kevin McLeod. Uh, so before we close, Ben kind of look weird right now is everything okay hey look what i can do oh no stay frosty folks game over user wins